Amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Ah, praise God. Come down here with you guys. Uh, open up your Bibles really quick to Psalm chapter 27. Psalm 27, if you may. Many of you already know that passage. Uh, months back, I did a message, and I titled it One Thing. One Thing, if you guys remember. How many of you remember One Thing? One Thing. All right. Now, as we look at that passage, I don't want to just focus on one thing. Uh, the Lord brought me back to that. But what I want to do is I want to look at all the words um, around it. And what I really want to do is I want to focus especially on verses 1 through 6. 1 through 6. As we get ready to get into the message, uh, I'm going to really touch up on what Maori closed up the prayer with, with the, ser- the worship service with. And that's pretty much what I'm going to talk about today, how God is for us. Amen. Last week, I, I talked about the fatted calf, and I talked about the holy cow. And I mentioned how God is for us. And, and we had an amazing, amazing service last week. And the word of God, I mean, God really spoke to my heart again. You know, sometimes you prepare the message, but when you preach it, uh, God just does something totally different in you. And um, he speaks to you. And that, that never grows old. But I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to just touch up on uh, what Maori was closing up with. And I, and I hope it blesses you. And then towards the end, I'll give you guys the, the title of the message because every time I've noticed, the title gets changed. So for right now, we're going to go into the second part of the comeback. This is part two uh, of our five-week series. Next week, I'll probably talk a little bit about setbacks and, and stuff like this. And then we're going to end it off on Easter Sunday with the greatest comeback of all time. Amen? All right. As we talk about the comeback, as I kind of want to introduce um, what we're going to be talking about today, uh, this comeback that I feel is so needed in our lives, this doesn't necessarily mean that you are totally away from the Lord. Uh, But last week I shared how maybe you're not totally away from the Lord, but maybe you're definitely not where you should be with the Lord. And that happens in a lot of Christians' lives that we're not what we would title this thing called backslidden. But we are, we will tell this thing called lukewarm. Amen? And, and, and I think in our lives, there are always moments in our lives when we are ready for a comeback. I truly believe that. There have been times in my prayer life when I'm seeking the Lord and, and I'm just seeking his presence. And, and I've realized that there is maybe sin in my life. Um, I've realized that maybe there's just some, something going on, some sort of bitterness, some sort of whatever it might be. And I come to the Lord many times and saying, Lord... In these areas in my life, I truly need a comeback. And I hope you're blessed by this. As we talk about comeback part two, we should remember that in our lives, in regards to us making a comeback, and I want to just kind of refocus on these things, and if you're taking notes, just just get ready to write down some details, that the most important thing is that we have a father, and, and Madi was saying it, a father who we shared last week who stands in our corner. You guys remember that? And as he stands in our corner, he is coaching us, he is leading us, he is directing us, loving us, and he's doing something that really we don't even deserve, and that is that he is graciously loving us and graciously covering us through this all, through this whole walk. And we spoke on that. And and as I started to think about comeback, I'm not going to talk about LL Cool J again, but as I started to think about comeback, I think uh, a great person to think about is David, all right? David is a great story when we talk about comebacks. David knew what it was like to live a life that was in constant battle, as if he was in a ring, always fighting in and out, fighting, battling um, with enemies, so on and so forth. 
And if you ever study in Scripture the life of David, it's obvious that he had high moments and that he had low moments. If you study it, you will realize that. He had moments of victory and then he had moments of defeat. And I would say that David knew a little something about comebacks. Definitely a great example for that. Okay? Because he faced moments that he could either lay down in defeat, David, or he could rise back up and fight for what was his. David saw that with his sons, with enemies, his whole kingdom being attacked by his very own son, wanted to take his kingdom. That's hard, man, for a father. That's hard that your son wants to take your throne. And one of the ways that he's going to do it is by killing you. And then you as a father need to face your son and realize it's either I allow you to kill me or I have to kill you so that I could stay with my kingdom. That's, that's hard decisions right there. So David knew a little something. What's special about David was we know that David, the Bible says, was after God's own heart. He had a heart after God's heart. And as David fought for God, I need you guys to know this. There was never a day, there was never a moment that God did not fight for David. Oh, but David was a sinner. But David was a murderer. But David was an adulterer. Listen, I don't care what things you could say about David, but there's one fact and there's one thing that I could highlight in the Bible, and that is that God fought for David day in and day out. Regardless of all the things you could say about him. Regardless of all that. And today... As we get into this message, I want you to know that God is in your corner. Because sometimes we forget. And as he's in your corner, he fights for you. And he's so good. Because not only does he fight for you, but watch this. He's already fought for you. Last week, we talked about the fatted calf, the holy cow. And I started to think about it again as I was preparing this message. And I started to think about... I, I, what I kind of did was I put myself in that story, you know. And I started to think about the palace, how it looked like. I'm weird like that. The father, how he looked like. The two sons. And I thought about the conversation between the son and the father and how he left. And the other son was in the background kind of mad and, and saying, okay, well, maybe it's a good thing that he leaves because then I'll take over my father's household when he dies. And then the son gets back and then the older brother kind of like is bugged out like, oh. Why is he here? He's trying to, you know, and he gets all mad and the father gets upset and he says, why are you bitter? We should be celebrating because my son is, was lost and now he's found. And I started to think about all that. But then I started to think about that cow that we talked about last week. I, I, thought, I started to think about him like in a little, in the, in the backyard, outhouse, kind of barn looking thing, surrounded by, these, by this fence. And then I, I pictured every time that that cow was being fed. And then as I looked at that, all I could sense was God telling me in my heart was, Rico, do you understand that that calf, that fatted calf, it was yours the whole time? I shared that a little bit. I shared that um, last week. And, and this is what the Lord was speaking to my heart, that every meal that was given to fatten it was with me in mind. Like, like, do you understand what I'm saying? Can you picture that your father has prepared a banquet just for you. There is a feast that is awaiting. Actually, in the end of the Bible, it talks to us about this feast. And in this feast, there is a preparation that is happening. As a matter of fact, listen up now. When Jesus left the earth, he says, hey, listen, I'm leaving, but I'm going to what, church? I'm going to, come on, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Mansions, dwelling places for you. And I started to look at that and I said, oh, my God. 
Could it be that Jesus goes to heaven and he's beginning to, he's beginning to fatten up the calf because he's waiting the revival of his children when we get to the banquet and he says, bring the calf. It is time to celebrate. And I say, Lord, that cow was for me the whole time. And he says, Regal, the cow has always been for you. I've been getting it fat just to have a party for you. And I started to think about that with the prodigal son. And I want you to realize as we get into this second part, second installment, that that fatted calf was prepared always with you in mind. And that is that the Lord had in mind, my children, they're going to come back. I always ask that question. They always ask me that question, do you believe in one saved, always saved, and all that? I do believe that if you are a child of God, you will come back. I believe it. So here's David with all his wars, with all his blood. You could almost see him writing this with blood in his hands because he was a warrior. And then he says this, if you could just follow with me, the first six verses of Psalm 27. Check this out. This is good. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress. You see, if you knew anything about war in those days, you would know what about a fortress. You would know the importance of a fortress. He's protecting me from danger. And I love this translation, how it says it. So why should I tremble? Why should I be afraid? Why should I tremble? Verse 2. When evil people come to devour me, and when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Did you notice David's words there? Who will stumble and fall? They will, not me. They will stumble and fall. Verse 3. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what, it's going to sound familiar to you. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections, meditating in his temple, for he will conceal me. I love that word, conceal. You know what conceal means? Conceal is that you are there the whole time, but you are kept as if you're not there. Let me explain to you. You are secretly hidden, but yet there the whole time. And here is David, and David's like, I'm faced with my enemies. I'm faced with my troubles. I'm faced with heartaches, but he conceals me. I love that. He allows my enemies. He allows my troubles. He allows my heartaches not to see me, but man, do I see them. And then he goes on. He says this. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of the reach on a high rock. And then I will hold my head high. Above my enemies who surround me at his sanctuary, then I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. Some of you sit here on a Sunday or stand here and you look at other people and say, how come they worship like that? How come they get so passionate and they're yelling and they're crying out to God? Because they could relate to Psalm 27. God has, are you guys alive today? All right, good. Man, all right. I need you to catch this. Because they have gone through things or they have seen God's hand. And I always look at people and 
that can't worship the Lord, that do one of these and just don't worship him. They just stare at everyone and just stare at Ali maybe. And I start to wonder, I was like, do those people really know God? Because if they really knew God, they can't do nothing but worship God. And here's David, and David is saying just this. Look what he says. He says, I hold my head up high. And all the enemies, they surround me, but I'm above them. And look what he says. And at his sanctuary, that's where I offer sacrifices. And my sacrifices are shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. I love this. As I read Psalm 27, I start to think about the penmanship behind it, the author of this. And what experiences must one go through to write words like, I, I mean, if you paid me a million dollars, I can't write six verses like this. And that is that I, 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 I placed it under a different translation. If I were to read it under the King James translation, it would even sound even more beautiful, more Shakespearean. And I read these six verses and I say, I don't know how in the world David could write such beautiful words. This is what I want as we get into today's message. We're going to jump into Genesis but what I want is that for the month of March, I want to exhaust this topic so much that you end this month believing in yourself when everything about you does not want to believe. And, and, and part of that is maybe there's fear in your life. We're jumping into come back and you know God is calling you, calling you, calling you and you're just fighting with God, fighting with God, fighting with God. And my question to you as pastor of this house is what do you fear? What fear is holding you back? Because the truth is you don't have to fear one thing, just God. Look at Psalms 27. Why should I be afraid? Of why should I tremble? They will stumble and fall. My heart will not be afraid. I will remain confident. Look at all the things he says. Okay? He will hide me. He will conceal me. He will place me on high. I will hold my head high. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to fear when you read the scriptures. If everyone could turn to Genesis 1 as we get into the message today. Genesis chapter 1, when you're there, if you could just give me an amen. Genesis 1. As we look at Genesis 1, the book of Genesis gives us insight on how it all began, the history of creation, uh, the main character. I, I, I need you to Real quick, I'm just going to stop really quick. And I need everyone to understand this. As we open up this book right here, as we do this every Sunday, and as you do this in your own time with the Lord, opening up this book, I'm going to share with you a point that is very, very important. And the point that I want to make is this. The main character of this book, and if you're taking notes, it's an easy note to write, it's this. It's always God. God is always the main character. Uh, this book really has a lot of things that are applicable to us, but I'm going to be very honest, has nothing to do about us. It has everything to do with God, and, and I love to even detail it more. Ready? It's either talking about Jesus or it's always pointing to Jesus. Everything about Genesis to Revelation. I need you guys to catch that because sometimes I, I was listening to someone speak the other day, and, and we have too many people that do this. Lord, speak to me today, speak to me today, speak to me today. And they open up to whatever page opens in the Bible. And they read whatever verse and they say, bam, that's the word that God has for me. And that's a scary thing to do. I'm sure God can talk to you that way, but the whole book is for you. But the whole book is about God and it's pointing to Jesus. And as we look at Genesis and we understand this fact 
that the main character is always God and it's always about him, um, it's very important that we start like that, knowing that. And as we jump in to the first two chapters of Genesis and summarize and skip verses, we're going to learn about two individuals. These are two individuals that play a supporting role and their names are Adam and Eve. We all have heard of them. We've all learned about them since we were little kids. So here's where we're going to pick up at. He creates all things within six days. We know that in Genesis 1. He gave form to everything which had no form. The Bible says that he gives us day and he gives us night. He gives us water and he gives us land. He gives us grass and fruits and living creatures and sea creatures and flying creatures and these stupid creatures like roaches. And, and, and I don't know about you, but he makes all these things and... I, you've heard me say this on a Sunday. There's what, I'm going to ask God a lot of questions. And you better believe that on my list of questions is why roaches? I, I still to today do not understand that. I was with Javi a couple weeks back and we were ripping the floor at his house. And Javi's very manly in those areas. I've never seen Javi act so manly in those areas. But there was wood that we were trying to rip up from the ground. And this is Javi's there and he could tell you. And he goes, all right, Rigo, this is what we need to do, rip wood. I was like, all right, I got this. So as I start ripping wood from the ground, from the dirt, I promise you. He says I'm exaggerating, whatever. I guess when you fear things, it multiplies, right? So as I opened, and I ripped one piece of wood out for the first time, I, I saw branching out of the ground. And what I told him was hundreds of roaches came out of the ground, Javi. And he looks at me and says, I don't know about hundreds. Maybe there were like tens or twenties. He says, okay, you know, maybe 50. But hundreds is a lot. I said, Javi, there were hundreds of roaches that came out of the ground. So here I am, and there was one piece of concrete, and then there was dirt here, and we're ripping wood off. And, and, and I would kind of like go like this and try to rip the wood off with like two fingers and try to lift it up. And there were just roaches that would come out and hide again. But Javi was so manly. He would step in the sand, and he would rip the wood off. And I'm like, Javi, there's, there's a roach by your foot. And, and he's like, stop being such a girl. And he said that to me. And, um, and I told him, for this, I'm fine with being a girl. And girls, no offense. I'm sure some of you are not scared of roaches. But it's just a phrase that he used. And um, I just stood there and I said, I'm going to act like one now because I don't like roaches. And that's one question that I will ask God. Why roaches? There's no purpose. And he creates all these creatures like roaches, like birds. Beautiful sea creatures, lions, giraffes, tigers, all these beautiful creatures. And then in Genesis 1, something amazing unfolds. One of the greatest creations is introduced to us. I just need you to catch this. You, if I ask you, what is the greatest creation that God has ever created? You'll be like, the earth and its beauty. We have things like the Great Barrier Reef and the Grand Canyon. The atmosphere and or the maybe the galaxies and the universe with all the galaxies. And I don't know what you would say. Some of you will be so beautiful to say dogs are his best creatures. But in Genesis 1, and we're going to start in verse 26, we're introduced. To God's greatest creation. Look at this. It says, then God said, let us make what? Man. Let us make human beings. 
And let us make man in our image. There is God's greatest creation laid out in Genesis 1. I've created all things, but right now I'm going to create man. And, and you're going to see how we're going to unfold this. And then look what he says. In our image, in our likeness, to be like us. Have you ever read that and said, what the heck? I'm supposed to be like God? Period. And then it says, and they will reign over that word in other translations says and they will have dominion dominion over over what over the fish in the sea over the birds in the sky over the livestock over all the wild animals on the earth and all the small animals that scurry along the ground notice what this creation has this creation has total and all what dominion over every other what creature or creation he says here is my creation and you are above all of this creation you have a responsibility over all of this creation and look at verse 27 so God created human beings man you me us I in his image and then this part should be a shocker to you because we've read it so many times but it flows through us here it is he created us in the image of God. He created male and female. And then in verse 28 says that God blessed them and said, here it is, ready? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish and the sea, the birds, the sky, and all the animals that scurry along. And then in verse 29, God says, look. Your translation might say, see. See that I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. Eat from the ground that I've given you. I've even given you dominion over the ground. It's good. 30, and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals. You don't even have to worry about feeding the animals. Just walk them to the plants and they will eat. The birds in the sky, the small animals, everything that has life. And it says, and that's what happened. And then look at verse 31. Then God looked over all that he made, and he saw that it was very good. Look at the person next to you and say, you're very good. You're very good. You're very good. All right, look up here. Settle down. All right, you're very good. You're very good. Because that's exactly what God did. He saw everything that he made, and he saw that. Not that it was just good. Not that it was decent. You've ever worked? And after you get out of work, like, how was your day? Like, it was decent. How was work? It was all right today. How was your work? It was good. Well, God said, how was my work? It's very good. Okay. It says, an evening passed and morning came, and that marked the sixth day. I'm going to break down a couple points here in just... One, two, three, four, five, six verses that we learned in Genesis 1. Here it is. Number one, man. Greatest creation. And I'm going to talk about why I wanted to mention this, these scriptures. Number one, what is man? We could take notes and write this down. He is created in his likeness and in his image. Now watch what I'm about to share with you next on the number one. Never was man to pollute that. Never was, were we to pollute the likeness and the image of God. Number two, 
What else about man? Number two, man was created with purpose. Or another way you could write that is man was created with a design. Okay? You guys are with me? No? All right. Number three, we were now, watch this, to reign. Write that down. We were to have dominion over all that is living. Notice the things about man. So we were created in his likeness, in his image, and never were we to pollute that. Let me ask you a question. How has man been doing with being created in the image and in the likeness of God? Ready? Thumbs up for good job, thumbs down for not so good job. Ready? How has man been doing? Yeah, I agree with um, most of you. Thumbs down. Eli's like sideways. Some are doing good, some are doing bad. That's a good answer. But I would say the most population of man is not doing so well in number one point. Being created in the likeness of God or in the image of God. Number two, created with a design. Number three, we were to reign over all that is living. Now watch number four. He tells them, now you be what and what? He says, be fruitful and what? And multiply. You know what that means to me? I want to just burst the bubble really quick. God always created in man a working spirit. We don't work because of the fall and because of sin. Man, from the beginning, before the sin, was already created and designed to work. I'll prove it to you. Because God says this. He says, be fruitful and multiply. To me, that means now work. Here's everything that I've given you. Now, now, now freely work in this. And that talks to me about salvation because when Christ saves us, it doesn't mean that now we get lazy with salvation, but Christ almost looks at us and says, you're saved now, now, now work your salvation. Now, now live what I've done in your life. And here is Adam and Eve standing in the garden, looking at God and says, what do we do now? And God looks at them and says, are you serious? Look at everything that I've given you. Now work, get to work, feed the animals, fruitful, Have kids, many of them, okay? Raise them, teach them, have fun, tend the land, mow the lawn, do everything that you need to do here, okay? And now watch what else happens here. Oh, I love what what the ESV says. It says, productive work is part of God's good purpose for man in creation. Love that. Fruitful and multiply. Number five, ready? Now you are to govern and subdue. Number five, man. What does that mean? Well, watch this. It means that now you are to set the rules and you are to bring things into subjection. You've ever read that scripture in the New Testament? All authorities have been placed by God. You ever read that? To follow authority. And here is point number five. Man has been given the dominion or the the design to govern and to subdue, to set rules and to bring things into subjection. And then my last point, ready? Here it is. And this is what I'm going to talk to you about today, which can lead to my title. It's number six, I believe, freedom. Freedom. God has given man freedom. And this is what I'm going to preach to you about today. Because the Lord grabs Adam. He grabs Eve. He says, hold hands and stand before me. And he says, now look out in the field. And they said, yeah, it's very good, isn't it? And they're like, absolutely, God, this is beautiful. And then the Lord says this, look, in verse 29, he says, I have given you all of it. Uh, let, me, let, me, let me break this down. Point, my last point is freedom because the Lord is telling his creation here, 
I've given you everything, and because I've given you everything, now enjoy the freedom that I give you in everything that I've given you. And I read this, and I say, Adam and Eve were given the world. They were pleased, as a matter of fact, and most importantly, God was pleased because the Bible says in verse 31, when God looked over everything that he made, he saw that it was what good? Very good. You know what that means? God was pleased. He's like, man, I did a pretty good job. I I wow me every time I do something. I just shock myself. And then not only that, Adam and Eve are looking at each other and looking at God and says, man, you are good. You really outdid yourself this time. And everyone was pleased and everyone was happy. He saw everything as good. Now, if you could just flip over to chapter 2, and and I'm going to get there. I'm just building this up to get to my main point. Look at chapter 2. Go to verse 15 with me. Once you're there, give me an amen. In chapter 2, verse 15, 16, and 17, it says this. Then the Lord God took man and he put him in the Garden of Eden. That's where we're at. To tend it, to keep it. We talked about that. Just restating here. The Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Notice the word freely there. All these trees eat freely. There's freedom. Verse 17. But there's one tree. Everyone know that one tree? It is the tree of the knowledge of what? Good. Good and evil. From that tree you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Let's break this down. God gives them another command here. And he gives them a command with some important details. Now, I need you to listen to me. All the trees that bear fruit, you could eat from every single one of those trees. Eat from them. I've given you total freedom, watch, and total liberty to take all of this for you. But there's one tree that you are not to eat of, its fruit, and that is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Do you know what God is saying here to Adam and Eve? As I read this, I wrote this in my notes. It's almost like God God is saying this, ready? I'm not forcing you, and I'm not restricting you, and I'm not, like, putting these pressures on you. It's almost as God is saying this. It's simple. In me, you have total freedom. You are obedient to me, and you will see that I will continue to be faithful to you. So from all these trees, you eat freely, but from this one, just don't even touch it. And after this conversation, if you could put your eyes down to verse 25, everyone understood it and everyone was very happy. Trust me, and you can write this down in your notes. After understanding God's details and God's command and man's design, man was very happy and man was doing very good. I'll prove it to you. Look at verse 25 with me. Ready? One, two, three. Let's read it. And they were both naked the man and his wife, and they were not, yeah. Married people will understand this verse. I'm being real. This is church. I'm not going to lie in church. Just the, just the point that the verse says that they're walking around the garden naked shows me in Scripture that everything was good between Adam and Eve. I have no problem with you. I got no problem with you. I don't have a problem with God. Naked before God, naked before you, naked before him, naked before her. Everyone's naked. Everyone's doing a very good job here. Okay? I'm just being very honest here. I mean, if the Bible didn't say this, I wouldn't preach it. But since the Bible says it, I'm going to preach it. I mean, I got to be honest. But watch what it says in verse 25. In other words, away from all the naked words, 
Naked, by the way, is not a bad word, guys. It's a, it's a very good word, okay? In its context. Well, watch this. Marriage, amen. That's why I said married people are going to understand this. Now watch this. <laughs> but verse 25 could be translated as this. Instead of all this nakedness, you could have easily said, trust me for not putting details. Trust me. Everything was good. They could have just said that. But the writer wanted you to make sure that you understood that everything was good between Adam and Eve because they were all walking around with no shame. And I need you to catch that. Why were Adam and Eve, now here's when I'm going to start preaching. Why were they walking around naked? Say it. Because they were living in freedom. Guys, we're living different days. Just relax. I'm going to get to my point. This doesn't mean that we do this now. My sister in the back said it perfectly, in marriage. But that's a whole different thing. Okay, let's, let's get back into the word. But what's happening here is everyone's living in freedom. They're free before God. They're free before husband and wife. Everyone's chilling, man, in the Eden. So everyone's doing well. They're hungry. They pick from any tree, any fruit, bite into it, get filled. Come here, little horsey, you're hungry? Come and eat from this tree, from this grass, from this ground. Monkey swinging around, eat from this fruit. And, and Adam was just calling them, you are giraffe, eat from this grass. You are gorilla, eat from that tree. You are shark. What are you supposed to eat from? <laughs> I guess they're carnivores. I guess they're always in carnivores, but eat from the seaweed on the ground. And he began to govern Adam. And he began to govern, we're not even going to talk about dinosaurs right now. And he began to govern, and he began to reign over everything that was living, God's greatest creation over everything. And the freaky part is, him and his wife are doing all this, all while naked. Okay? It's good because nothing was going to bite them. Everything was eating from the ground. Everything was healthy in Eden. Everything was heavenly. You know that scripture? Where Jesus says, let's pray like this. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy come, that will be done on earth as it is in. That's what was going on in the Genesis. Heaven was seen on earth in Eden. Now watch this. Watch this. It says here, as they were both naked, none of them were ashamed. They were not ashamed. And I read that and I say, well, it's obvious that they were not ashamed because there was nothing to be ashamed of. They knew nothing of sin, church. They knew nothing of the side effect of sin. Let me break these two points to you. Ready? Here it is. They did not know anything about the drift of distance, or another word is the separation that man would feel when they sin against God. They didn't know about that because from all their time, they've always been with God. Are you guys with me? So they don't know what it is to be shameful of God because they're with God. They're like, what do you mean, separation? There's no such thing as that. I'm always with God. As a matter of fact, every day at a certain time, he comes and walks around eating with me. Is that true or not in the Bible? Number two, another point why there was nothing to be ashamed of was because they did not understand the shame that when you know you did something wrong and now you have to confront that thing uh, like, like, and, and say, man, I can't believe I did this wrong. They didn't understand that shame. They did not know the shame that, that you have to go along like if everything's good when, and pretend like nothing ever happened. But, but, but they didn't have to worry about that kind of shame like you and I worry about now. We sin and, and then we have to pretend like nothing happened. Nothing, how are you? Good, brother. God bless you. High and highly 
highly favored. Here I am. The mercy of God dwelleth over me. You liar. There is sin in your life and you just did not confess it to that brother. But you know deep down inside there's a secret sin that you're dealing with. And you felt some shame in your life at one point. I bet you there has been a point in your life when you walked into those doors and someone said, how are you? And you wanted to cry and say, do you really want me to answer that? Because we could be here for an hour. But everything in you kicked up a notch and said, I'm doing great. How are you? God bless you. We've all been there. Yes or no? I've been there. You've been there. We've been there. Because we've experienced shame because of this thing called sin which has separated us or has made us confront this thing or has made us feel like, oh, my God, I've done this wrong and now i got to hide it. And this thing builds on this thing called shame. They knew nothing about being ashamed yet. They didn't know any of these things because everything was good. And you know this because Adam and Eve are just enjoying themselves, walking around, getting a nice little tan on their naked bodies. But watch what happens in Genesis chapter 3. And I just need you to catch this. It's introduced to us now in Genesis 3. Now, you know what's beautiful about Genesis 2 to Genesis 3? We don't really know the time span. I don't know if it was one year, two years, a thousand years. I really don't know, Okay. It wasn't a thousand years that we know, but it could have been one day, one month, one year, ten years. And, and here is this new introduction in chapter 3, and watch how it starts off. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 starts like this. The serpent was the most cunning, the most deceitful, the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman... Did God really say you must eat the fruit, that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Let's stop right there. Did animals talk back then? I don't even know. I guess I'll ask that question to God. Did you take away their language? But here's Satan, and everyone should highlight this part. Did God really say? Because I'm going to talk about that. That you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. Number two, the woman replies back and she says, well, of course we may eat. We could eat from any of the fruit from the trees in this garden. You're wrong, serpent. Number three, as a matter of fact, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. That one we're not allowed to eat from. God said you must not eat it or touch it. And if you do, you will die. And then look at verse 4, everyone. Ready? What does it say next? You, you, you what? You won't die. <laughs> notice, God, notice Satan's voice. Ready? Number one. Did God really say? And she explains herself to the enemy. And then he looks at and says, you won't die. And then look what happens next. Verse 5. God knows. Everyone say God knows. I'm going to preach on that right there. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God. Notice here, ready? God knows. The enemy comes in, and he twists God's words. Number one way he twists God's word. Did God really say you cannot eat from any of the trees? Was that the truth? No. As a matter of fact, God said you could eat from every single tree. But watch what he does next. You won't die. And then watch what he says after that. God knows. When I look at that word God knows, those, that phrase, am I false or am I true in saying this? Those words are still heard in our ears and in our spirit when we sin today. 
oh, really? Have you ever sinned? And then when you sin, you justify yourself and you say, but God knows that I really love him. It's the voice of the enemy planted in our heart. Or you see the sin right there and you know that you're not supposed to do it, but you're going to do it anyways. And as you're walking to do that sin, in your head, what do you do as you're walking to that sin? You know it. You're saying this. God knows that I'm just a human being and he's going to forgive me even after I do this sin. And we always say that phrase, God knows. Am I the only one? Because if I am, I just feel real stupid right now. But here is the enemy and he begins to twist God's word because no one here knows the word greater than the enemy. We have to understand that the enemy knows the word of God front and back and does a great job in twisting the word. And it's always been the plan of, enemy's plan, and watch this, to strip us from the freedom of Christ. How does he strip us from the freedom of Christ? The way that the enemy strips us from the freedom of Christ is causing us to disobey, to sin making us think that if we sin, then we receive true freedom. For example, I have friends in my life that tell me this. Oh, wait a minute. So you go to church, you don't go out in the weekends? Let me tell you what that means. You mean you don't live in freedom? Wait a minute. So you can't have drinks and you can't have sex before I got married? And you can't? And I'm just like, who said that I can't? Who said that I can't? Watch what they're thinking. In their mind... The enemy, what he does is he says, sin, and as you sin, you experience freedom. Because you're not being held back by what we tend to look at sometimes, which is like a set of rules or, or, or guidelines or these boundaries that we're not allowed to pass. Now, now, now listen, it's always been a lie. You see, to sin is not to experience freedom. Satan makes us believe that. To sin causes us to lose freedom because it separates us from God and now binds us to the enemy's lies. For example, Adam and Eve were walking around in freedom. As a matter of fact, we know that because we just read in verse 25 that everyone was naked in the garden because they were free and they were eating from whatever tree they could. Why? Because they were free and they were able to name any kind of animal that they were allowed to name. Why? Because they were what? Okay, free. And everyone was free. But there came to a moment when the serpent began to lie to their ears and said, the day that you eat this, you will know like God knows. Now watch what the enemy does to you and I. He allows us and he causes us and he directs us to sin. And as we sin, we think, because the enemy lies to us the way he lied to Eve and Adam, saying, you will experience true freedom when you sin. When God is in the background waving his arms, saying, no, he's lying to you as a matter of fact true freedom defined biblically is only found in God whenever you go towards sin you lose freedom and now you experience being bound let me explain to you what I mean have you ever had a friend that constantly goes to you I need prayer in this life my relationship is never gonna work how come I feel like I can never change you've ever had someone that talks to you like that what does that show you with their words that they're bound to something and they're coming to you asking you how can I get what free notice that 
But aren't you free, brother? Aren't you living in sin? Aren't you having sex outside of marriage? Aren't you getting drunk every weekend? Aren't you doing drugs as much as you want? But then they come to you and they ask you, can you pray for me? How can I change? I feel like I can never change. Can you help me? How can I find help? What they're really asking you is, I'm bound by sin, though the world thinks I'm living in freedom because I can do whatever I want, and I need what you have because I've realized that in God is where there is true freedom. Can I ever change? Let me explain to you what took place here. Here is Adam and Eve in Genesis, and then it says this in uh, chapter 3, verse 7. At that moment, they took from it, they took from the, from the fruit of the serpent, and it says their eyes were opened. They suddenly felt what, church? They felt what? Naked, and they felt shame. Watch this. As they felt shame at their nakedness, they began to sew fig leaves together to what? That doesn't sound like freedom to me. Why do you think God comes into the temple, um, into the Eden later on and says, what's wrong with you? Why are you covering yourself with those leaves? Did you guys catch that? Because I never made you to be covered in that. Adam and Eve, I created you to be free. Who covered you with those leaves? I, I need you guys to look deeper into this really quick. It's not just, oh, I put a leaf on. No. Verse 7 tells us what happened. Verse 7 says that at that moment, they felt shame because Adam looked at Eve and says, girl, you naked. And Eve looked at Adam and said, boy, you naked. And they said, well, what do we do? So they began to make clothes out of leaves. Hope you could catch this. What Adam and Eve, listen, were once able to do freely and not feel ashamed. Now they could no longer do it. They could no longer be naked because they turned against the freedom that was given to them and shame entered their lives. I need you to listen to this next point. God never gave Adam and Eve, God never gave Adam and his wife restrictions. Did you guys catch that? They had complete freedom. But when sin entered, then is when it caused restrictions. To where there was once no shame, now there is this thing called shame. Does not Satan do that with you? And does not Satan do that with me? We feel ashamed and at oftentimes that shame leads us to feeling condemned. And I ask you today, well, what in the world is that? I'm going to tell you what that's called. That is called a loss of freedom. If there is anything that is in you that feels ashamed because of sin, could it be because you have not received the freedom that is in Christ? Are you guys with me? Are you guys with me? Because what the enemy likes to do is that when you sin, you stay what? Stay what? In your sin and bound to your sin. And when that shame is tearing us up so much that we feel like we can't get free, could the question be, have you ever experienced Christ's true freedom? Let, let me explain to you what I'm talking about here. Because John 3.17, Jesus steps into the scene and says this, For God did not send me to this world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world through me might be what? Might be saved. And I look at that scripture and I look at what happened to Adam and Eve. And this is what I come up with. Satan in prison, Christ frees. The enemy binds, but Christ gives liberty. And as we look at that, I look at my life and I ask you today, if there's anything in your life that you have been hiding, and maybe you've been sowing fig trees to try to hide the shame, you have, you, you, you maybe been hearing the Lord's voice like he screamed it out to Adam and Eve, Adam, where are you? And he's asking you, where are you? Not because he needs to know, but because he wants you to figure it out. Have you gotten to that point ever in your life? If so, here's my comeback. Here's how I'm going to plug comeback. It's going to come in another verse now. He didn't intend for you to live in shame. He didn't intend for you to be bound or imprisoned from your past, from your present, or from your future. Never did God intend for you to be bound. But this is what God intends for all of us here, to live in freedom in the goodness that he has given before us. Watch this. Adam, Eve, watch. Welcome to the garden. It's all what? It's all yours. Take, eat, enjoy it, and be happy. It's all yours. Never was there any restrictions. It's all yours. But the day that you eat from the tree that's in the middle, restrictions, shame, and sin will fall. And from there, that moment forward, you will lose what is called freedom in me. Don't make the mistake. Don't eat from that tree. Trust me. Something amazing takes place here. Because as I look at my life, I say maybe there's a comeback in my life that I need. I've been imprisoned from past sin, present sin. And here I have everything that God has set before me. And we could ask ourselves a couple of questions. Will I ever be able to come back? Will God be able to forgive me ever again? Another question that we ask ourselves a lot is this. How will I ever be able to make up for all that I've done wrong? You've ever asked yourself that question? Or how will I be able to make up for everything that I've lost? See, that's what the cross is for. That's where we stop and humble ourselves before Christ because in Jesus, he covers our shame. He clothes our nakedness, our sin with righteousness. And watch, go to Genesis chapter 3 and put your eyes on verse 21. Everyone with me? Adam and Eve are naked. They're ashamed. And now they realize we got to do something about this. And they began to sew together fig leaves. And in verse 21, it says, and the Lord God, who? Okay, very important there. And the Lord God made tunics. And he made these tunics of skin and he clothed them. Another translation says this, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And he put them on them. You know what that shows me? When you look at Genesis 3.21, so what happened finally to Adam and Eve? The curse took place. The consequences of sin came about. But what happened to them? I'm going to tell you what happened to them. God didn't leave them in shame. God didn't leave them naked. God realized that they sinned. And God realized now you're going to have to deal with your consequences of sin. But watch this. But it doesn't mean that it needs to be over for you, Adam. 
And it doesn't mean that it needs to be over for you, Eve. As a matter of fact, I'm so good. Watch what I'm about to do. And for the first time in the Bible, what do we see? A sacrifice that takes place for the sin of man. You thought it was Jesus? Or you thought it was the high priest in the Old Testament that sacrificed the lamb? How do you think they got that animal skin? You know what Jesus had to do? He had to kill that animal. Sorry, well, Jesus was there, but you know what God had to do? He had to kill that animal. So as I read that scripture, it bugs me out. Because here I am in shame. Here I am in need of a comeback. Here I am defeated at times. And God looks at me and says, did you not read the story of Adam and Eve? They had it all. Just like Rigo, you had it all at one point. But you lost it, you felt like, because you sinned. And you lost this freedom that, you know, when you first got saved, everyone explains it as that fire when you first get saved. It's not a fire when you first get saved. You know what it is that you're enjoying? The freedom that Christ gives you when you first get saved. But what happens is, as you go on living this walk, there are obstacles in your life. And that freedom, you start to feel it becomes hindered here and there and here and there and here. And then you start to pray, Lord, give me that fire when I first got saved. And Christ is like, the fire has always been there. It's the freedom It's the freedom that you're running from. You need to get sin out. And I look at Adam and Eve, and I say, wait a minute. The priest and the Old Testament, the Mosaic law, was not the first sacrifice that was given for man's sin. It was for Adam and Eve, the first creations to ever master this thing called sin. And as Adam and Eve sin, the Lord looks at them and says, Adam, Eve, do you actually think I'm going to let you hang in? Do you actually think that I'm not going to come through even at your most despicable time? Do you know what's beautiful about the Old Testament? You can still see pictures of God's grace all over it. That was a picture of what was to happen on the cross with Jesus. Watch this. The Lord clothed them with animal skins. And in chapter 3, verse 21, I realize that his desire is never to leave me or you naked But he makes a way for us to clothe us. He is on our corner. He is our coach. He is yelling for us. He is rooting for us. And right here in Genesis 3, he is clothing us and he is calling us out to our comeback. Adam, get dressed. Eve, get dressed. Come on. We still got more things to do. Because out of you will come the Savior. Because out of you will come great people. Because out of you will come Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the tribes and the nations. Out of you are going to come some. It's not over, Adam. It's not over, Eve. I might kick you out of Eden. And I might cause you to never eat again. And I might make you woman to go through childbirth. But listen, it's not over. Get dressed with this covering that I'm giving you. Because out of you is going to come a seed that's going to save a world. I'm not done with you, Adam. I'm not done with you Eve now get dressed and I look at Genesis and I say thank you God because when I sin and when I feel shame there is something in me that can come back and it's because God has given himself to you to clothe you over and over again God is our atonement in Jesus Christ our Lord where he forgives us of our sin he wipes away our shame and we can look at the world in the face and say through God in Christ Jesus I can come back here is Adam amen here is Adam and here is Eve the whole world was breaking down hell on earth for them 
But something beautiful happened, and God says, forget Louis Vuitton, forget Armani, forget Versace. Can you imagine wearing the garments that God has sewed together just for you? Wow, I would love to see how that looked. I would love to see how that looked. As he puts on one arm in, and puts on another arm, and puts one leg in, and puts another leg in. He is dressed with the clothes of God that God wove and put together just for him, just for her. And all it is, it shows us my grace covers you and you can't come back even through this darkest time in your life. Come on, get up. There's more work to do. That's awesome right there. The greatest of God's creations caused the greatest crime in the world, which was to sin and disobey God. But the Bible says, for God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved his creation called mankind. I want to share a verse with you really quick, and I'm going to end. I'm going to ask, I guess I'll ask Danny to come up, or, or Tito, if, or, or Danny to come up, and, or someone just to come up and play as I close off. But look at Romans as we close off. Go to Romans chapter 3. And if you could turn to verse 25. When you're there, just give me an amen so I can know you're there. Romans 3.25. In Romans 3.25, it says this. It says, God presented Christ... As a sacrifice of atonement. You know, we sang the song, um, He Loves Us. Oh, how He Loves Us. Well, it's written right here in Romans 3.25. He loves us that God presented Christ. I love you so much that here's my son. As a sacrifice of atonement. That through the shedding of his blood, that you would receive it by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. I read that scripture. I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for bringing forth Jesus as my atonement. See, in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve had that animal that God sacrificed. And they were clothed in its tunics, in its skin, sorry. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel had the sacrifice of the priest. But living today in 2013, Romans 3 tells us, Regal, new life, you have it in Jesus Christ now. Who was your sacrifice of atonement. As you close your eyes and as we get ready to end. Maybe you've been in the same place where Adam and Eve have been. You know where you shouldn't be? 
know where you should be. And there's something going on in your life. There's this shame that has risen up. And you're like, Pastor God, I just got to deal with this shame already. I got to deal with these things. And I just look at you and say, but the Lord has dealt with them. Because he gave Adam and Eve and he sacrificed and he showed us the first sign of atonement. Where he gave an animal for his greatest creation. And he said, but what does that have to do with me? Well, that has everything to do with you because in the New Testament, he gave the Lamb of God his only son for his greatest creation. For you, for me. Our atonement. The payment of sin, which should have been us, he paid it. The sacrifice was not us, was him. How? How did it happen? Well, Roman says, through the shedding of his blood. And then at the end of that verse, he says, and it is received by faith. Can you receive this by faith? He demonstrated, church, his righteousness. How? Because the sins that you commit have now not be unpunished because Christ took the punishment for you so what do I do now now you just come back now you just live in freedom again but it's a true freedom of Christ's holiness and righteousness freedom was never meant to sin freedom was always meant to live righteous what the world has done is they say well true freedom is you could still sin and come back to God. Someone who thinks like that has not experienced the true freedom of Christ. True freedom is the individual that says, I can do nothing but live in his holiness and his righteousness because he covers me and he gives me all things. If someone ever tells you, well, you could do this, that's the voice of Satan. God really didn't mean that. Well, God knows if any Christian in the world ever talks to you like that, I'm telling you today, that's the voice of the enemy. The voice of God is different. The voice of God is everything that is before you is yours. Now live in my freedom. There's no need to question it. Just don't sin. Because the moment that you eat, the moment that you disobey, you will begin to experience a loss of freedom. So what is that in a, nut, in a nutshell? True freedom comes from true obedience. Today's message is titled, Come Back. Come Back to Freedom. Come Back to Freedom. And that's found in obedience. Get rid of your shame. We're going to close off in prayer. If there's anyone here today that God has been speaking to you and you know who you are and God is like come back to freedom let shame be done with let me clothe you with righteousness today just like I did to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 let me do it to you today that you don't got to stand ashamed of your nakedness that I could dress you up in righteousness clothing today. 
in holy clothing today. If there's anyone here that dares to say, Lord, I need to come back to freedom, which is found in true obedience. If that's you, can you just stand with me? I'm the first one. And I want to pray together with you. If that's for you, just stand where you're sitting and stand up and say, today I take the stand. I want to come back to freedom. I want to come back to it. If that's you, just stand. If you're sitting down, can you begin to pray? And say, Lord, allow me to continue to live in this freedom, which is freedom in righteousness and holiness. And I pray for those who have stood, that you are consumed with your presence. With every eye closed here, can you begin to pray that? Lord, bless them. Let them live in freedom. If you're standing today, can you cry that out to your God? Lord, let me live in freedom. Let me come back to this truth. Let me come back to righteousness. Let me come back. I felt like Adam and Eve where I've messed up, where I feel shame, but Lord, there's no need for that. Cause me to come back to it. Dress me clothes of righteousness. Anyone here? Just begin to cry that to your God. Bless the Lord. Give us this freedom. Jesus. If you could all stand with me. Lord, as we stand before your presence, we thank you for today. We thank you for worship. We thank you for your word. We thank you for reminding us that in you, O oh Lord, there needs to be no shame, no defeat. That in you, O oh God, we can find this freedom, this hope that is in Christ Jesus our atonement, our sacrifice, and our comfort. I thank you for that promise. I thank you because, Lord, I know as I stand before you, I need it every day of my life. There's not a day that I don't need it. I'm the first one to say thank you. Thank you for covering me another day to make it throughout this day. Lord, we love you. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. Can you give God some praise?